While I may be wrong about this, I had a friend in high school who would call me peculiar about once a week because I'm not your ordinary duck. But um, I think that everyone is longing for peace and for wholeness. I know that I am. The problem is that it is humanly impossible to either obtain or bring about peace. We are all just broken enough that we have neither the wisdom nor the courage to be peacemakers, to bring peace about. Not by our own efforts. So let me be very blunt right now. Peace is a gracious gift from the one, one and only covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, or Jehovah in English. And it is a gift which must be humbly received carefully by faith, not flippantly. And peace from God is maintained by obedience to God, which is motivated by gratitude. Now, we've heard, as Paul is concluding the exhortation portion of his letter, which I told you last week is a letter of friendship exhortations, primarily friendship, but they need to know some things. As Paul is wrapping this up, this also, let's remind ourselves going back to the beginning, this was a church, a church body that consistently fully partnered with him in his gospel work ever since he had planted it. And that story is told in Acts 16. He's putting forth the peace of God as the promise, the promise that God makes to all who are rejoicing in the Lord, allowing his forbearing kindness or gentleness to flow through them to all people, each and every one. And instead of worrying, they are always praying, letting their requests be made known to God. And he says, then you will be protected by God's peace, which surpasses the understanding of our finite human minds. All of this is for those who are in the Lord Jesus, surrendered and submitted to him, joyful, faithful obedience to God gives his peace. And then he goes on to say that they will consider all that is virtuous both in God and in people. And then as they put it into practice, all that they have observed from the apostle, 
they will enjoy this strong, life-giving, life-changing and transforming love of the Almighty God. So now let's dig deeper. This is the high-level overview. Praying that not only will we be enlightened, but we will also be further transformed into the true image of God, which happens in the Savior King, Jesus Christ. This passage is in two parts. Part one, joy in the Lord and gentleness from his presence can overcome anxiety through thankful petitionary prayer resulting in God's surpassing peace. So the first half of part one, always rejoice in the Lord and let forbearance be made known to all. That's the summary. Let's dig deeper. First sentence, rejoice in the Lord always. Now I looked up on Bible software. In the King James Bible, rejoice in the Lord. It occurs nine times. Six times it's a command. But three times, very interestingly, on the part of people, it's a pledge. I will rejoice in the Lord. And it's 45 times the word rejoice, okay? I, I, I counted it up, did a search. Paul uses this verb rejoice nine times in Philippians. I've given you the references. Of the 45 times it occurs in the Old Testament, I think the one most appropriate to this passage, and perhaps in Paul's mind as he had memorized all of Scripture, is at the end of the prophecy of Habakkuk. And I'm just going to quote a portion of it, but I, I hope you all know it. Though the fig tree does not blossom, and the flock be cut off from the fold, yet I will rejoice in Yahweh the God of my salvation. What a beautiful attitude to have. He knows all of God's promises. Everything's falling apart. It doesn't look like redemption is near at all. But he says, in spite of all of this, I will. This is one of those declarations. I will rejoice in Yahweh. And then Paul goes on. He says, again, I will say, rejoice. You see, for emphasis, Paul is repeating this command to rejoice. You see, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If we are in Jesus, if we have the Holy Spirit, joy should be a part of our existence and our life. And then he says, let your kind forbearance be known to all men. Now, it can be gentleness. There's many ways to translate this word. But this is an attribute of God which he gives to his people. And I found two instances of God's forbearance in Romans that add up to the gospel. Okay? He says God's forbearance, his patience, his gentle kindness with people leads them to repentance. What is repentance? It's when I turn from my own efforts to do something and say, I can't do it, God. 
you must do it. We turn from ourselves to God. And also this forbearance of God provides gracious redemption in Christ Jesus. So God's forbearance leads us to repentance and redemption both. And then it says to all men, all people. This is so key. God's people who have received his forbearance are to let this forbearance flow through them to all people, each and every person. Whether they are in Christ or out of Christ, it doesn't matter. This is what God wants from his people. And then... Closing out the first half of part one, a key phrase which comes out of nowhere, the Lord is near. And by this, Paul means both ways, okay? Jesus promised in the upper room, I won't leave you as orphans. I will always be with you. I am sending the Holy Spirit. The Lord is always near his people by his presence. But also, and we'll be looking at this much more in Advent, he could come back again at any moment. And that should motivate us in our love of him and our service of him and in following him. He's near. We don't know when he could return. It could be at any moment. The Lord is near. And while we are waiting, let us remember what Jesus did for us. He showed the amazing love of God on the cross. And many times in the Gospels, I've only given you about four references, but seven times he says, take up your cross and follow me. We must also take up our cross and then We must do it as we're sharing him in a hostile world. Paul pointed that out earlier in Philippians in chapter 2. Remember, shining as stars in this crooked and depraved generation. It's amazing how as we study a book in depth, we see how the Holy Spirit inspired the authors to keep returning to very, very important things. Second half of part one. Worry about nothing, but in everything. Let requests be made known to God, and his surpassing peace shall guard your souls in Christ Jesus. Now, I mentioned this is the end of the exhortation piece. There are five commands here in part one. And the fourth one is worry about nothing. Now, this word for worry is worry or anxiety. And remember on the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was saying, don't worry about the necessities of life, what you'll eat, wear, drink, any of that. Do not worry, but seek first the kingdom of God And all of this will be provided to you. Get our priorities straight. God, number one, then he will take care of us. So why should we worry? And he says, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Notice what this says about prayer. There's two parts to prayer. 
Okay, the first one is we are to petition him for our own needs and for the needs of others. But equally important, we need to be thanking him. First of all, for who he is. Second of all, for what he does. And lastly and most significantly, thanking him for all of his gifts to us, especially, again, the cross. And we'll be remembering this on the Sunday when we celebrate communion. Let your requests be made known to God. Now, unless you have read the Greek and you know the Greek, you don't know this, but the verb for letting the request be known is singular. And what does this mean? The body is praying as one. We have different gifts, different things we'll be petitioning for, but we're praying as one body. And this reflects the miracle of Jesus. He takes all kinds of diverse people with different backgrounds, different abilities, and allows them to pray as one according to his will. And now all of these commands, we have five commands in this first part. And I can't remember if I put this in a Vestry Voices article. I think it did. It blew my mind. Commands are always associated with a promise. What is the promise here? And the peace of God. The all-surpassing peace of God that goes beyond human understanding will guard, protect, keep your hearts and minds. That's an amazing, amazing promise. And let me just remind you again, because God's peace, shalom, goes way beyond the English definition of peace. Here's what God's peace is. It means entering into a state of wholeness and unity, including wholeness and unity especially through restored relationships. First of all, our relationship with God is made right and flowing out of that. Our relationships with people can be made right. That's the first and greatest part of shalom. But it also means safety and soundness, health and prosperity, as well as quiet and tranquility. God gives all of these aspects of his peace to guard human souls, both our hearts and our minds. And finally, as we come to the end of part one, he says, in Christ Jesus. So this section began in Christ. It ends in Christ. And the amazing thing about Paul I counted it up, and just in case I undercounted, there are over 120 times when he talks about in, in the Lord, in Jesus, in Christ, or any combination of the above. It's all, we must be in Christ. Secondly, well, wait, let's back up. 
This is all about joy. Remember the command was to rejoice. And if we faithfully obey God, then we will experience his peace. Like all promises, there's conditions. But then the result is God's all-surpassing peace. Secondly, he says, all of morality is from God. Consider it. Consider what is truly moral. And then do what you have learned from the apostles, especially the apostle Paul himself, all about God by observation. And then the God of peace will be present. So, he starts out saying, brothers, whoever is Um, consistent with God's character, okay, or whatever is experienced as worthy and excellent by men, consider, consider. So um, he's saying, brothers, whoever is, uh, whatever is, I'm sorry, whatever, 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 We'll get to that in a minute. Whatever is consistent with God's character, again, consider it. So I'm going to take this verse 8 and start with the beginning and the end because that's the subject in the verb with a whole bunch of objects in the middle of it. Finally, brothers, consider these things. Well, I said a few weeks ago as Paul began the second half of the letter, This word can be translated either as further or in addition to or whatever is more, but it can also mean finally. So when he said in addition, and we're getting the last seven of a whole string of over a dozen, maybe uh, 20 commands, he's saying these things you must be considering. And the very first command he gave after the addition was rejoice in the Lord. And he kicked off this section with rejoice in the Lord. And now we come to the last two commands. The first one being consider a whole bunch of things. He gives eight virtues to consider and meditate upon between the subject and the verb. And together they describe God's awesome character. But in the context, and I just learned this this week, in the context of Greco-Roman culture, and I will bring that out as we go along. But first of all, whatever is true. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit could inspire Paul with the order of things. And remember, more than anything else, God is truth. What did Jesus say when uh, Philip had a question for him? I am the way and the truth. And I've given you just less than a handful of references from the Tanakh, the Old Testament, of God being true. Secondly, Second whatever, whatever is honorable or of good character. And that's important, and I think it's something that we've lost as a culture these days. But understand this, a person's character is a driver of that person's motives and that person's actions. Therefore, it is essential 
to have good character, to be truthful, to be righteous, to be pure. These are all qualities of God, and he will transmit them to his people who are in his Son. Thirdly, whatever is righteous. Yahweh is righteous. I've given you a whole slew of references from the Old Testament and even the New. Fourthly, whatever is pure. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount as he kicked it off. He says, those who are pure will see God. Be pure. Whatever is pleasing. Now, look, I just read this in English, but again, using my Bible software, this word for pleasing only occurs here in all of Scripture. The entire Bible, this is the only time. And then I found out this word was used many, many times by the Greek philosophers. Sixthly, whatever is of good report. This was also a word that Paul borrowed from Greek philosophers. What is he doing here? Well, he's using words of virtue that the people in Philippi, living in Macedonia, which was northern Greece, they would recognize these words from their own philosophers. This is part of how those of us who know Jesus communicate with a culture. We need to understand that culture and use words about the wonders of God, his virtues, his character, all that he is. Use words that will be familiar to these people. And then Paul goes on to give two, if any, virtues. So whatever, 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 if any. He says, if any good report of excellence. And this too is a virtue from the Greek culture only appearing here in the Bible. But he caps it all off if any is praiseworthy. And this word praiseworthy is a New Testament word. It is a scripture word, a word for God's people. And most significantly, it is used for the threefold glory of the Trinity, of the Father, of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in the doxology that kicks off the letter to the Ephesians. And again, I was reminded my very first month here in October of 2001, I preached on that passage. I won't do it again, but we praise the three-in-one God for all that he has done. So God wants his people who are in his Son to use their hearts and their minds, which he is guarding, to consider these virtues and also to act upon them. So we can also conclude from this passage, guarded hearts and minds are free to consider God's virtue. And then his last paragraph, his last sentence, and the things learned from this apostolic church planter Paul, 
The church must do what it has observed in him. And then the God of peace will be with you. There's a lot here. Let me just elaborate on it. He says, the things you have learned and received. Now, this verb learned means literally learning how to become a disciple. You've been discipled in accordance with the last words of Matthew when Jesus says you are to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and I will be with you. So they are to be trained up to be disciples, and they had been trained up, both by Paul and other good teachers. And also the things you have heard and seen in me. Now, I've taken some teaching courses, and I also know how I learn. And one of the best ways to learn is to be with and to observe someone who is living according to Jesus' will. What did he do with the 12 apostles for at least two and a half years? He brought them around with him so they could observe him and hear what he was doing and understand him. And Paul had been able to write to the churches in Corinth before this, imitate my example as I'm imitating Jesus Christ. And here's the last command. Put them into practice, okay? Just do it. (sighs) Nothing. People, and believe me, I get convicted by this a lot. Nothing is truly learned until we practice it, okay? If we haven't changed, if we aren't doing what we've learned, we haven't really learned it yet. Or in the vernacular of that old Nike commercial, all that we have learned about what God desires for us to do, okay, after he adopts us as his children and makes us citizens in his kingdom, people, let's just do. Do it. Do it all. That's what we're admonished to do here. That's the command. But here's the promise. Here's the payoff. And the God of peace will be with you all. Emmanuel, this second promise of the passage, with us God, which is the literal translation of Emmanuel in Hebrew, with us God, is the greatest promise in all of Scripture, and it permeates Scripture. Now, John was able to hear in his vision all about the covenant consummation. I've given you many references here, but at least five times in the Old Testament, God describes his covenant as a covenant of peace. This passage I'm just learning today, it's all about peace, okay? Now, John, after he had seen Satan cast into the lake of fire, and he had seen the final judgment of all people. I'm going to quote from the Good News Bible. 
John reports, And there came to my ears a great voice out of the high seat saying, See, the tent, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will make his living place with them. And they will be his people, and he, God himself, will be with them and be their God. That was God's intention ever since the creation, ever since the Garden of Eden, that we be one with God. We with him, he with us, enjoying each other for eternity, enjoying his amazing love. So here's our application this morning, people. Let us draw closer to God. In this renewed covenant, God really only has one covenant with people, but it was renewed in Jesus the Savior. And especially as we partake of the sacrament of communion, the Eucharist. And be honest with me, you may have read ahead in the outline. But how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands, knew that Eucharist in English is good grace? Again, the gracious God wants us to have his peace. Joyful, faithful obedience to God gives us his peace. Let's wrap it all up. Peace with the God of peace that protects people's hearts and minds comes from continual rejoicing in the Lord. And the ability to rejoice comes by praying rather than worrying and by considering all the virtues that are in God, all that is virtuous in him and also, yes, even in the world which he is ruling over right now. And by learning and doing all he teaches, learning through godly people. And the faith to live this way is motivated by the nearness of the Lord, both his nearness now and we don't know when he'll be coming, but it could be very, very soon. But joyful, faithful obedience to God gives his peace. And as I began That's what I'm looking for more than anything else. And I think many people today are looking for peace. That's how we get it.